Hi, I'm Michael Sestouli and welcome to Cinemates, a podcast where a bunch of mates chat about cinema over some drinks. In this episode, Nick and I were privileged enough to chat with directors Finbar Watson and Alec Green and executive producer Max Oman, some of the creators of the short film Teacups. Teacups encapsulates the legacy of Don Ritchie, who for almost half a century approached people contemplating suicide at the edge of a cliff near his home. Voiced by Hugo Weaving, the film explores Don's surreal interactions with hundreds of suicide individuals and his journey to reconcile the suicide of his best friend. The film won Best Australian Animated Short Film at Flickrfest, special mention at Aspen Shortfest, as well as official selections at the St Kilda Film Festival, AnimaFest Zagreb, Guadalajara International Film Festival, and is now a finalist at the Sydney Film Festival. The film is now screening in Australia in Melbourne on the 7th and 11th of June, and in Sydney on the 17th and 18th of June, and we'll leave links to get tickets in the show notes for those that are keen. While drinking some Brewdog Valley drafts, we chat about their inspirations for telling Don Ritchie's story, what it was like working with Hugo Weaving, and the film's stunning animation and sound design. Note, this episode, of course, contains discussion of suicide and mental illness, which listeners may find distressing. If you or anyone you know is ever struggling, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. As always, make sure you're following Cinemates wherever you get your podcasts and leave a five-star review to support us. Now sit back and enjoy this episode of Cinemates. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Open the pod bay doors, now. Finbar, Alex, Max, how are we? Welcome, guys. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome Thank to the you. podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having us. Oh, very excited for this one. Mm. Long time coming. Mm-hmm. Um, me and Nick have been very excited since we started chatting about it. So keen to get in. But before we do, quick shout out to our sponsors, Carbon Negative Craft Beer Brewer, Brewdog Australia, based in Brisbane. And today we're drinking their Brewdog Valley Drafts. Hell Yeah. So they're carbon negative. Yeah, so you're saving, so the, you're planet. saving the planet while, while you're drinking, drinking these. Good to do. Have a sip. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, they're really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. We always get a good authentic reaction. Like, mm. obviously… We haven't had anyone say they don't like it yet. <laughs> yeah. But… <laughs> We're not incentivized. No, not incentivizing that. Uh, but yeah, they're really good. And yeah, saving the planet while you're doing it. And quick shout out… Uh, Drink responsibly over 18s and we'll leave a link in the description for free delivery if you're in Australia wanting to buy some BrewDog products. But let's get into it. Mm. Teacups. I just want to say straight off the bat, congratulations to all three of you and everyone else involved in Teacups because when Michael and I watched it for the first time, I was blown away. Brought me to tears. I've seen it four times now Mm. and it's brought me to tears every single time at the end. I think it's such an important and impactful short film. 
And so I just wanted to say first, congratulations, guys. Well done. Yeah. I can't yeah. wait for everyone else to see it. Yes. We're going to be saying this a lot during the podcast, but everyone needs to see this. Yep. And we're going to tell you where you're going to be able to see it. Um, but yeah, Michael. I think, yeah, just to add on to that, you guys should be very proud. I think even though it's seven minutes runtime, as Nick said, it's extremely impactful. Um, I don't know if this wasn't allowed, but I showed my brother and some of my housemates and they were blown away as well. So it's an incredible film and there's so much to talk about with it. So mm. let's dive in. Yeah. Thank you. I think one of the first questions that me and Nick sort of wanted to touch on, um, it's obviously an animated film and art and color is a massive part of it. I guess maybe first question as part of that, why did you choose to go animated over like humans? The reason it's animation, I guess, when we began looking at doing another film, Alec and I just finished this sort of short documentary that sort of ended up at The Guardian and we were looking for something else and we were super sort of, I guess, um, influenced by these New York doc ops, Mm. uh, which is like these great sort of, small docu- short documentaries that have these really unique stories and they're, they're very sort of just really impactful and, and just really solid filmmaking. And we sort of just heard about Don's story, um, which we can come back to in a bit how we came to that. But it got to the point where we realized we just couldn't, we just couldn't do a, we couldn't tell Don's story in a live action because there's so much time in his life, obviously everyone's life, but mm. he's lived at this place for 50 years and we wanted to capture sort of what it meant to do something like that, save all these, help save all these lives mm. over half a century. <clears throat> and live action was just difficult to get that time, sort of uh, capture all that time in a live action, I thought. So that's yeah. one of the big reasons. Yeah. Um, add on. Well, there are sort of three points in his life that the animation mm. looks at. Uh, there's sort of the Navy period. There's the sort of first time, that's how we looked at it in the script, where he was up on that cliff and somebody came out. Mm. And the sort of final parts of his life um, and sort of him being a seasoned um, lifesaver, I guess. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it it sort of felt like we had to have animation because you can jump through the scenes really easily and Mm. and it's sort of the transitions are much more seamless. Yeah, yeah. And I think as well as that, looking back on it, I'm glad we did it that way for a bunch of reasons, some of which we just mentioned, but also because showing suicide on screen I find is... I'm going to get oh, sort of serious quickly, but it's, <laughs> it's, it is like I often find like a really – it's dramatized for shock value sometimes. And I feel like there's so much emotion in suicide like that is not the act in the act itself, if that makes sense, but it's how it impacts the families, how mm. it impacts sort of everyone around. And we didn't really want to focus on, on – by showing that. We didn't want to show a suicide explicitly. And I think animation is the perfect way to use symbols and colors and mm. – you can just you can you can sort of explore explore you know how you do that in a much more interesting and in a way that captures the emotion as opposed to the sort of any shock value I guess mm. so. definitely that's something that I loved about the film is it was so much show not tell yeah and the animation style mm. just did that in such an amazing way you knew exactly what was going on with not much dialogue that's mm. nice that's to hear that hear, feedback because yeah. yeah, yeah. i mean constantly throughout the scripting process we were like is anybody gonna understand this even still when we watch it we're like looking around at the end of the film yeah like, Did yeah everybody pick up sort of what just <laughs> happened or if we lost yeah. everybody no yeah. i was like yeah yeah it was very very well done cool yeah well, i think like the way that 
you know, it was able to kind of transition through all those parts. And I, I guess it would have been so hard to pick what you chose was going to be in the final product, like mm. story-wise, especially because he had so much in his life. But I think, yeah, animation was a way that made it very easy to follow and to be fully understanding of like what he went through and the people that he was helping by being able to transition so fluidly. Um, and I guess with that, how did you come to choose the artists and the animators that you went with? Because, you know, it was such a particular style, very colourful. Um, so professional. What was the process? Well. Yeah, to like find them and how did you go about that? Yeah, I mean, initially when we were looking for animators, we sort of cast the net out really wide. I don't think we had a you know distinct visual style that we were chasing originally. We were looking across all of the festivals that were out there and all the animations that were available on on YouTube to us. And mm. eventually a friend sort of recommended that we see a short film called Coda. That was by uh, Anne Maps and Plans, the animation company that we ended up using. And yep. sort of the the spirit of the animation, the style, it, 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 it just worked for the script and it made sense. And when we reached out initially <clears throat> to Alan Holly, who heads up the company and you yeah. know is the art director and animation director on the film, he connected with the script, which is you know such a critical thing. If somebody's going to take that on and and you know communicate that with other animators, mm. yeah. And uh, another thing as well, which was sort of just lucky, is that like Alex, we looked uh, all over the place. So in mm. New, like in New York, I mean, we were looking in Australia for a while, and yeah, Michael showed us our friend this uh, this this company and Maps and Plans, and the good, the real great thing about them is that they are obviously excellent animators, but they tend to do their own work, so they'll make their own films. And so they have a real sense of story. Okay. And for instance, the one that Alec just mentioned, Coda, which is this incredible, incredible short animation about, which I recommend everyone watch, is about this sort of man who gets hit by a taxi and he dies and it's just him walking around the streets of Dublin uh, with death, sort of following him around. And he sort of revisits all these moments in, in his life. And it's just sort of quite... It's just very, very strong filmmaking and very strong storytelling. And that's just one of the, like, we kind of looking back at it, it's just very, it's very good to have a collaborator that understands animation, obviously, yeah. <laughs> obviously, but uh, storytelling as well. And so it's like, you know, Alec and I and Max, when we were looking at these issues, like in terms of how do we communicate this beat or how do we, you know, show this moment, like he would basically take these ideas and these sort of emotions that we wanted to hit and he'd be like, okay, well, animation works like this and we've done it in the past. Sort mm. of these similar sort of themes have been explored in this way. Um, so basically it was just a bit of a dream come true working mm. with our maps and plans. They were pretty amazing. Yeah, they did such an amazing job. Um, now we want to get on to Hugo Weaving. Obviously yep. listeners <laughs> will know at the start of the uh, <coughs> podcast that you guys got Hugo Weaving as the voice of Don. What was that like working with him? He's such a favorite of... So many people. So, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah. It was a when we when we were writing the script. We because it's such an important story and it's an Australian story as well. We really wanted to find an actor that uh, that not necessarily people would recognise, but sort of has that. I guess sort like of a certain gravity. With gravity their with their voice. Yeah, and just sort of I don't know. Yeah, gravity. I guess and like similar to the animation process, we cast the net net out pretty wide. And we were sort of really searching for anybody. We had a dream list. We had a dream list. <laughs> yeah. Absurd yeah. fantasies about who we could get. <laughs> um, and we got a close 
uh, you know, once or twice to get some pretty awesome Australian actors. Uh, and then unfortunately they, that fell through and yeah. Well, let me just ask when Hugo got back to you guys and said that he was keen, was he like, what was his reaction to the script? I'm trying to remember the email we got. Uh, we, we were sort of speaking through his agent. So um, we would have got the confirmation from her. But I have a vague memory of getting that email. I was pretty, pretty excited. I think we were, yeah. we were like probably jumping around the Did place. Did you guys meet up with him <laughs> yeah. in person or was it yeah. like a Zoom yeah. sort of thing? It was, it was sort of we, because it was during COVID actually. So it was sort of all up in the air. And like at any point, like there was always this sort of looming anxiety that he could, you know, just not be in the country or something mm. might come up and it's COVID, things are changing all the time. And so it got pushed back a few times, but he was, he's actually, he's such a legend. He did this voice recording on his phone. Do you remember that? So yeah. Yeah. Remember, from Melbourne. From Melbourne. Yeah. And it was so, it was, I remember that, that was awesome. And we sort of just knew straight away. It's like, so we did like a draft. Or it was bizarre yeah, because was, we didn't yeah. really send much direction through. We just mm. sent the script to him and <laughs> we just wanted a sort of voiceover filler so that we could mm. put it in and that the animators could sort of begin work. Yeah. And, we get this sort of voice recording back in the email, pop it open, and it's perfect. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. You can't floor it and you can't direct to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so bloody good. That's yeah. insane. I remember um, you posted it in, like, the group chat with everyone else, and he's like, oh, have a look at this. Yeah. Or have a listen to this. And hearing his voice over the film for the first time, it was like, holy shit. Right. <laughs> wow. I used to live up on a cliff where people came to die. I can't imagine like how surreal it would have been for you guys, mm. as filmmakers, to then go back and give Hugo Weaving like notes and direction. Oh, you know, like yeah, oh maybe yeah, try yeah, this. Yeah, yeah wow. that would have been so crazy. Is like you know, to be honest, like I just don't really know too much about filmmaking yet. Pretty young, so it was a bit of like a, a shock to get Hugo when we when we met up with him in the room and sort of like we're giving mm. directions yeah. to like a veteran. Yeah, exactly. Like someone that you know, as as a Lord of the Rings lover, <laughs> you know, obsessed Lord of the Rings fan, it was like yeah. pretty hard not to say Lord, you know, Lord Elrond or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Agent Smith. <laughs> so it was pretty surreal when we met up with him. Um, I mean, we'd spent like a day before we met up with him, like nutting it out together. We had the scripts, and we'd done this before. We'd like annotated it to the nth degree mm. just like on every possible thing that might come up and every which way we'd maybe want to turn the performance if any at all um and when he came in it was the sort of the same thing again where it walked into the studio <laughs> and got it and uh, i mean there were changes yeah well I, but he just really understood, understood the script the yeah the script. and it, it was it was really cool like it was only like three or four hours in that uh, in the you know because it's not much, not much dialogue yeah still fast, like yeah. that mm. usually it takes ages it takes, to yeah, record all that stuff yeah it takes a wow. while um but he did kind of nail it the first time and it was great because the more that we sort of sat with it the more sort of involved he became I guess that's like, awesome like, yeah that's so good that, you know, he's, like he's a very he's a he's a he's a professional and he's very very good um but as it went on I felt like he just sort of was like what about this what about that was suggesting ideas. Yeah, it was, that was, wow. that was, yeah, that yeah. Was cool. Try anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please, please, please do anything. Please. Were there any of his like sort of ad hoc suggestions that made the final cut that were different? Yeah, there was. Um, I remember one of them was. I'm just trying to remember the uh, the exact line it was. Yeah, I should know this. Um, was it all that silence? It well, it was that he did that, and then it was also um, all those years up in the. Which talked just once or something. Certain mm. pauses so in between what he'd say. Emphasis on certain words where it was like, okay, 
didn't see that. As Broke like up a, the script and yeah, it kind of changed the line so, completely. Yeah. And which was like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you should have seen us waiting in the lobby for Hugo originally. We were sweating, so shaking nervous. in your boots. I bet we were just like walking in circles oh, yeah, around yeah. each other. Like, is he going to arrive now? <laughs> <laughs> what happened? What was the what was the like first human contact like? Like locking oh, eyes, we so casually, so casually. Yeah, we were downstairs in this lobby, and like it was a recording studio on Bonnet Junction, and we were, we were yeah, like Alex said, just strutting and like so I mean he was the perfect presence that we needed because he just came in and he was like very very friendly and just yeah, sort of good. happy to be there and yeah. just put us at ease yeah that's the elevator great. ride up was a funny thing yeah, yeah. That's so, <laughs> good. so what's the drive this like can't be is? real yeah yeah, yeah yeah that's so good i think what was and we can talk about the like dialogue uh especially because nick sort of brought up before how um, there's a lot of show not tell and there's I don't know how many lines there actually are in the film but the, you know there's not not a heap um, and I think that his delivery of those lines um, made them so made them hit you so hard like I wrote some down especially the opening line um, I used to live and I hope this is right <laughs> I used to live up on a cliff where people went to die and the way that that paired with the like score and the animation it's just like in. you're straight in yeah, and you're, you're on board in. yeah you, whoa yeah we, we sort of debated whether to have that line in originally yeah. wow, really? we were talking about the suspense of the scene and whether we give it away too early yeah. but it was but, such a kicker right mm. that was yeah you, you just locked in straight away it, 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 that line sort of came from when i was talking about before about those new york doc ops and how we're influenced by them mm. because we initially sort of imagined it differently uh and a lot of those sort of start with a line like that and that grabs you immediately, like, and, and a lot of the time that's sort of stuff like, you know, I was the, I was, yeah, I was meant to be an Olympic, Olympic you know, yeah, runner or astronaut or, or, yeah, or oh, okay, yeah, yeah. grab you immediately, yeah. And so when we were sort of going back through the script, <laughs> knowing what it was at that point, like Alex said, there was a bit of a debate about whether to keep that line in, and I think that the the reason it works, I think I want to look at it, is because of like the final line of the final line of the film, the final scene where he talks about people coming back back to this place. Mm. And sort of has a sort of full circle thing, but yeah, like you said as well, it definitely sort of, I mean, brings you in pretty quickly. Yeah, because it's the, it's like the only bit of dialogue for quite some time. Yeah, you just go through him, yeah. you know, greeting the individual yeah. on the cliff, yeah. and it delivers that sort of second yeah. punches you back into the scene. Yeah. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, that's one of the reasons we kept it in as well. Yeah, yeah, and also it's not, it's not as if it gives it away. Yeah. People no. really have no idea what they're about to walk into. I think exactly. You know, there's an inherent bias when you're writing knowing everything you're worried mm. that you're about to give it all away but the truth is that you're not yeah um, definitely i think as, as well there were some other lines that really stuck with me that i think again just the way he like sort of pauses at certain words and like emphasizes some other ones um that hit really hard as well it was like we could yarn about practically anything it just wasn't the sort of thing you'd say sitting around watching the footy I just wish we talked, you know. And yeah. I think that that is a really important message, especially amongst men with mental health. And I think that the way that he delivered those was just so impactful, I think. I think like when we, you know, begun writing the script, we outlined the fact that it wasn't going to be like poetry. Mm. You know, there needed to be yeah. like a certain level of it being colloquial yeah. and, and making sense and, mm. and being human. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. Like that is that whole sequence of that dialogue there, where he sort of 
it was difficult because I remember we were trying to figure out how is he going to process this game mm. like in like, like five lines or something. So we really broke it down. Um, there is a funny fact with that line. Uh, we just literally talk about the footy, um, <laughs> which is that uh, <laughs> initially it was something like cricket or it was the. It's cricket. just not the sort of thing you'd say sitting around watching the cricket. Okay. Yeah, and, and this is just going back earlier to what we were saying about sort of throwing the net out and had this delusional fantasy list of, of, of actors we could get to <laughs> play this, this, this character. Was that we thought that maybe Russell Crowe, because he's a... Oh, my God. Yeah. Just because yeah. he likes footy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they never got the script to him. Oh, no. <laughs> Russell, what did you do, man? It's yeah. actually Happy quite episode. funny. Um, Hugo Weaving <laughs> loves AFL. He loves. Oh, AFL. nice. So maybe that was his, you know, okay. selling point okay. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, <laughs> nice work. Maybe just quick one um, that kind of ties back to the animation. Um, what was the process like? So did he record the lines and then you send them to the mm. company? Because especially with those parts of the movie. Um, you know, it sequences through like this almost like dreamlike um, sequence when he's talking about his friend. Um, how did you like choose, you know, what colors were going to be paired with his lines and that sort of stuff? Uh, well, basically the, how the process works is you, like we were saying before about how he did that recording in Melbourne. Mm. Um, basically with animation, you start with sort of concept storyboards and, and storyboards and you eventually get to a thing which is called an animatic and that's essentially a detailed storyboard. So the weird thing about animation is there's like a big leap of faith, particularly for like our team in Australia where we knew nothing about animation mm. because what the final picture is locked within like two months out of like a year of production, uh, but they're basically sketches to start yeah. with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and you have to have a lot of faith that they're gonna it's gonna work out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it was it was a bit of a leap of faith. Yeah, like we were really worried because we like, what have we gotten ourselves into? This thing is just sketches and uh and but what I'm trying to say is is that you get your animatic locked in and then that's done with a voiceover. You have to have a voiceover with that all your all your dialogue there, at least some sort of placeholder. So for a lot of a lot of animations, sometimes they'll get like Maybe it's just anyone on set will do like a temporary placeholder right. and then they'll okay. bring the actors in. Yep. Uh, and usually like on a big big animation, it's usually like three or four times they'll mm. come in and come in and come it in. It makes sense in. to do the voiceover first. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but when when Alan initially started putting that animatic together, um, he didn't have any voice to work off. But the the minute that he did have it in front of him, he was like, oh, this is this has changed the game a little bit. Like, okay. This yeah. is so useful to have as like a source of inspiration on how to you know get, get through that montage and mm. understand the pace of it as well. Yeah. Yeah, something wow. I wanted to touch on, and regular listeners of the show will know that I am like such a stickler for sound and stuff. <laughs> the sound design and the score is absolutely incredible. Tell us about the score. Yes. So yeah. who wrote it? Yeah, like that was really well done. Initially, we were like, well, I think we'd watch Minari. Oh, great! Oh, oh nice. We need a Mill Mosery. <laughs> that yeah, was yeah, the yeah. decision. Yeah, yeah. Try to contact his agent. Of course, we didn't get an email back. Yeah, more delusion, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> delusion. Eventually, we came across Songs of Water, which Through was an American what? band. Yeah. How did we find them? Uh, the originally, originally, how we, we stumbled across them was we watched this. It was just a trailer for this amazing animation called Weekends, which is uh, fantastic. Over Jimenez. Yeah, awesome. Uh, and they just had this 
uh, song playing over the trailer and immediately it was just like, well, okay, well, it just captured sort of the tone of that of, of teacups perfectly. Mm. And we emailed them so many times and we messaged them on Instagram and they never got back to us and then finally they did. Well, I think it turned out that we, they were in our spam. Oh, yeah, something like yeah. that. And so I'm glad we persisted. But the music was such a journey because they had never done a film before, I think. I, I think so. That's so, correct, yeah. yeah, they... They're excellent musicians, like absolutely incredible musicians, mm. and they use all these really interesting sort of instruments. Alternate. Yeah, really yeah. alternate instruments. But it was sort of a bit of a – it was tricky because, like I said, like we're quite young still, you know, um, sort of still figuring out how to direct and, and what have you. Uh, and we're working with musicians as well who sort of have never done something to a story and you have to hit certain beats and you have to, you know, be writing mm. to a specific scene – and so it, it took us like quite a long time, but it was kind of cool because it was this really sort of collaborative effort of sort of just exploring the dark a bit together. I yeah, guess. I mean, the nicest yeah. thing about them is that they wanted to get it right. Yeah. They, they, you know, it, it was it's such a great platform to try it on for mm-hmm. the first time that they would go again and again and again at it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that sort of thing where, you, you know, you go to your editor and you've got two edits and then it's a yeah. lock. They, they were just repeatedly, uh, yeah, they repeatedly. Just, <laughs> 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 they went, they went, um, uh, like kind of overboard in some ways of helping us out. Like mm. they really did go back to the studio again and again and again. And at one point, I mean, we almost did a big rewrite. We did a huge rewrite of the of the music like quite late in the game because it was just about hitting certain beats. So for instance, like in that underwater sequence at the end of the film, initially sort of we had these quite somber and sad sort of tones coming in through like violin or something yeah. i can't remember but it was quite a s- sad music and like obviously that's a sad scene when you watch it and he's sort of getting over you know this this intense moment of his life getting through it but it that is it's already sad and it's sort of like i think what we realize that when you have music in film like how can we get another emotion that's not quite there yet or how can we bring out an emotion that's a bit buried deeper. Right. And so we sort of started looking at like guilt and and what does guilt sound like, I guess. And I mean, yeah, it sounds a bit pretentious, but that's what happened. Yeah. yeah, it's what the process was. There were certain like reference points in the script for the music and silence was a massive one. Mm. Like if you read the script, the word yeah. silence comes in a bunch of times. And and in the script, it, it means so many things and, and it sort of links back to a little bit about, you know, mental, mental health, health and depression yeah. itself. Mm. And just exploring that sound and, and understanding what it would mean and, and where it would come back into the film was probably mm. the biggest part in the score yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Same with the um, sound design too. And then yeah, with the sound design, uh, uh, Alex Francis from Sound Firm in Sydney is a absolute weapon. Like, he <laughs> yeah. just seriously is so so talented. And again, he stuck with us and like was just happy to go back and back to it again and again. Um, and yeah, he was really like amazing. He's yeah, a great sound design. I highly recommend him. Yeah, one of the hardest things in the sound design, there were two passes at it. Uh, the first time we were trying to explore what sound would that lighthouse make when it would swish around each time. Mm. That was so tricky because sort of the first few passes that we'd had at it, it was a little bit metallic sort and like a treasure reveal, a little bit. Yeah, like, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like a Horcrux. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's because we weren't communicating it the right way, and it was such a hard thing to communicate too. Because yeah. um, it doesn't, you know, a lighthouse swing doesn't have a sound. Right. Yeah. Like it doesn't exist. When exactly. It's miles away, right? Yeah. 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 It doesn't have a sound. So yeah, that took us some time. But that was a bit of a sort of collaboration between 
composers and the sound designer and us. Yeah, I think there was a push and pull for sure. Yeah, there was a push and pull. And then there were times where we'd say to, you know, the sound design, oh, leave, leave this area silent because we want, you know, uh, uh, songs of water to come in and do something so here. Like, Same thing for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with all that back and forth, you could tell everything was just so well planned out and everything fit so naturally in, mm. like he said, you know, a lighthouse doesn't make a sound. But yeah. I was watching that going like, oh, well, if a lighthouse did make a sound, it'd probably sound like that, you know? Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah. Well, that's, yeah. that's the nice thing about animation too is, you know, that's there's 12 months, there's more, but there's 12 months of animation and them slowly working frame by frame, hand drawing, painting backgrounds. So you can yeah. really think about the script and dissect little bits of it and understand what needs to change and, and, and be able to work on that, not just within like a two-day shoot block, for example. Yeah. yeah. I, I think... um. One quick comment, like I felt like the sound and the score with the art and animation and Hugo's voice was so like hypnotic almost and like meditating, mm. even though the story is like quite, you know, confronting and dark. Yeah. You kind of like get lost in it like, you know, Don sort of does in the water and all the different montages. So I thought that was just a quick comment. Um, but with that, um, you mentioned the backgrounds. Um, one thing we didn't talk about on the animation and art was the sort of way that the backgrounds are like more like a painting yeah. and then Don's, the humans in it and the other people yeah. um, are, you know, moving and things. Like how did, and I, and I wanted to take this down, the background artist and I don't know how to pronounce we're it first. We're, yeah, we're yeah. all butchering it. We're, we're yeah. trying for a long time with Weirin, but yeah. yeah. Amazing like art though from them um how was the process with that like some of them you could literally frame on a wall on their own yeah go ahead. um basically it's a shame we don't have alan here uh to speak on it because he is the maestro but um essentially the process was from the beginning alan wanted to find a style where you basically you'd watch it and you'd ask that very question like how mm. did that how did that how they do that so that's good that you said that he'd be happy um but <laughs> Basically, the backgrounds were hand by hand, some by hand, so they're painted by hands, and then they would be uh, scanned in uh, as okay. an image. Uh, and wow. then they'd sort of, on the, over that, there'd be like a sort of combination of the, change it as well, digitally as well. They'd start um, to yeah. manipulate it on yeah. Photoshop. Yeah. And I think Alan's main goal with the backgrounds uh, was that somebody looking at them wouldn't really be able to understand how they came to be. Like, oh, is it painted? But, you know, what's mm. over there? Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think one thing I wanted to say on that, that sort of like kind of style that was very unique and, you know, you're kind of questioning how it works like in reality. Um, I kind of wrote this in my notes and I don't know if you guys watch this on Netflix as well, but it almost, the, the quality of that and the animation, I could genuinely see it being an episode of Love, Death, Robots, even yeah. though it's not that. Yeah, yeah good call, Mike. So, yeah, I just yeah, yeah. wanted to say that because, yeah, it's so unique and I think that it just makes it so much more immersive combined with all those other things. Yeah, I mean, we'd love, we'd love to be a part of Love, Death, Robots. <laughs> <laughs> um, be awesome. We want to sort of dive into now maybe the purpose of why you wrote the film mm. and... Uh, why the story of Don Ritchie. Um, how did you guys come across this story? It's very interesting how it's not a story that's told more often. Yeah. It feels like such an important one. 
Mm. Um, how did you guys come about that? Well, I mean, what you just said there, the fact that it hasn't been told often, I think that's one of the biggest things mm. that drew us to it is that when we were you know, learning about Don and, and when we initially had interviews with some of Don's family, just the stories that they would tell and, and all the events, it was sort of mind-blowing for us to go onto the internet and discover that there hadn't been 10 features about it already. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I, I, like, I remember sort of grabbing a beer with a friend of mine and he was telling me about the story and sort of had like this loose sort of connection to his grandson, funnily enough, when we were kids. And I was thinking, oh, man, I've grown up sort of around that area my whole life and I haven't heard of this story, mm. which is super weird. It's just super odd to never have heard such an interesting story before. And so, yeah, I think like Alex said, it was just one of those things where it was a bit of well, why isn't why hasn't this been told sort of probably. And I think that was sort of the starting point. It was a lot of these Wikipedia-esque sort of articles, like Don was this old when he died, Don did this, he saved this many lives. And we're like, okay, there's, there's something more here to right. be told. And, mm. and so that was sort of the starting point. And to be honest with you, I mean, Alec and I, and, and I think the whole team, Max, as well, like really like when we dove into this, we didn't really have a sort of a super – we just weren't very knowledgeable about mental health, to be honest. But like Alec said, when we were interviewing the family members and we went on our own sort of shoot off that, which was just sort of doing a few mental health courses and suicide prevention courses and – we sort of just became more and more passionate about the story and telling it properly, I think. Like yeah. we realized that we had been entrusted with this story by the family mm. and that was one of the big reasons, <clears throat> okay, there's no screwing around now. Uh, and then it was sort of learning about how, um, I guess, widespread mental health issues are in, in, in Australia and becoming more and more passionate about that and sort of, and that worked the way into the script in so many ways, like really subtly, I think, like in decisions to do certain things and, and not do certain things and sort of showing uh, moments in the film but yeah uh yeah i guess we just sort of became more and more passionate about getting it yeah getting it and right, getting it right and that passion it's been reinforced through the feedback that we're getting on the film you know after it plays at a festival certain people will come up to you and share a personal story and, and how that film touched them mm. i feel like that's what makes it really special knowing that the film actually has this impact mm. yeah yeah which is uh, like alex said at the very beginning as well like even when you guys react strongly to it we're always sort of like worried that we've missed we've missed a beat or we've missed something. So it's good to hear that like it's actually hitting. Which is oh, yeah. it hits. It hits. It hits. Yeah. <laughs> it hits. <laughs> like, even in um, Aspen when we went over there, we were just sitting in the coffee shop and this couple came up to us and they were like, wow, you guys did the teacups films. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like it resonated very much so in the Aspen community because there's such a high rate of suicide in Aspen, okay. which yeah. is really hard to hear because, you know, Aspen's this wonderful place. Mm. But... They said that when someone dies in Aspen, everyone knows about it. It really affects the community mm. um, as much as this sort of story told and, and it was just one that people could really resonate with and on such a community level as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, when those kind of credits come up and you hear how many lives that Don Ritchie saved, like I didn't personally know about Don Ritchie and all the like good that he did until this and it's kind of mind-blowing that yeah his story sort of hasn't been told and yeah um you know you wonder how many maybe other people in that part of sydney like you know helped others 
Yeah, for sure. As well. It's, so, it's yeah. a real gasp me moment as well when people are watching it for the first time because, mm. you know, you sort of suspend disbelief a little bit when you're watching, but when you get mm. to that final, yeah. you know, title card, you mm. sort of hear this audible, oh, yeah. this is a real, real story. story. Yeah. 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 Which is why I think, like, it's good being told animation because it sort of takes you into this other world and you sort of get, get pushed along on this sort of emotional journey and then the ending is sort of just this really grounding mm. right. fact. Like, yeah. Saved. You know, officially 160 lives. Yeah. Officially, probably, probably hundreds right. more, yeah. 500, probably. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, what was the did, when you sh- obviously showed the family? Uh, yeah. The film. Yeah. What was their initial reaction? Well, to it? Uh, we managed to get uh, Annabelle, his granddaughter, uh, and uh, his granddaughter. Yeah, his granddaughter, and um, uh, she she really really liked it. She loved it. Uh, we got her to see it at the Ritz uh, two months ago, maybe. Or and a half ago yeah. and it's yeah it's been a long time coming because we interviewed her so so long ago now like yeah. three years ago but um and uh yeah she really loved it I mean, she was just she amazed was, by yeah. some of the detail that went into it she was sort yeah. of like a little bit in shock because you're like why is the house so accurate in the animation does that me in the background it's yeah. weird yeah yeah I mean, it's a family grown uh, family home where they've grown up so yeah, yeah you know you can imagine it would be really weird to see on screen and we got some, you know, really positive feedback when we first script. passed over the script um, yeah. to one of Don's daughters, Jan, mm. Jan and, yeah. and she wrote this beautiful, beautiful email which just encouraged us so much yeah. to keep going with it. That was one of those, like, a big moment for us, I think, in terms of making sure it was told properly. Mm. Yeah. She basically gave us permission to tell the story, which apparently that hasn't happened before. So we were like, okay, yeah, all eggs in the same basket. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, I you think you guys pull it off so well as yeah. well. Like it's one thing writing a good script, but having all the eggs, you know, yeah, well, all the ducks line up in a mm. row. I think it, it did definitely because, I mean, like yeah, Amaps and Plans. We've been through the the composers' songs of water, and it, like in within the Amaps and Plans team, which is you know that Alan's ahead of Alan Holly. Even within within that team, you have these other animators, uh, Josh, Mikai uh, Disa. Uh, we're in um and Rory. Rory and like I mean uh Josh and Mika had just come back from Venice Film Festival from premiering their uh their short film. Yeah. And so they're just like absolute talents. And then yeah, we have the sound design and talent, uh Songs of Water. It was incredible. a snowballing effect. And mm. then w- with a team that we got in Australia as well, with like Max and and all of our other producers, Leonard, Jordan, uh Max and Alex, I remember when we're talking before about the animatic and, and sort of making decisions earlier on, because once you choose your frame in animation, you cannot change the frame. Like you can't go back and be like, okay, we need to redo this because too much work's gone into to building out and developing that. Yeah. And so we were talking like at least once a week with, with our whole team, like me yeah, and talking and going through the script, this isn't working. And it was just, yeah, basically that's all to say. It was such a good team to work with. And like mm. big shout out there to the producers, you know, who yeah. would just come back with feedback it's on the script and, and suggest yeah. new ideas and yeah. to Alan as well, who, you know, what Finbar was saying before about the importance of having, you know, someone who connects with the script, he was able to insert that final scene where Don goes back out and he sits on the yeah. porch again. That yeah. wasn't in there before. Mm. Yeah. It was just going to end with that sunset shot, I'm pretty or, sure. Or, or something, but yeah. it added so oh, much, much to it and that, that idea of that cycle of... I don't, yeah, I don't, yeah. Even know, I don't even know what it adds, but it's perfect. It just feels right. Yeah. And even the whole underwater sequence. I mean, we workshopped that in production. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, we workshopped that in production. Like, mm. we had, like, a time limit, really, before. Because they're working through the animatic, you know, scene by scene. 
uh, and okay, this is the frame, this is the frame, and they were catching up to this final sequence of the film, which we were trying to rewrite. All of us. Uh, it was kind of ridiculous, but we managed to get done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that yeah. underwater scene so was last minute. Hugo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm we, pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, what did you think of the underwater scene? Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always been there. <laughs> wow. I guess with that, um, there's, you know, a number of sponsors and supporters that you got on the film, um, some of which are tied to mental health as well. Yeah. Um, how did you go about getting those? What was it like working with them? Because I guess that would have sort of helped. Yeah. Well, I think we, we uh, if we knew what we, like back then, if we knew what we, knew, we know now, we probably wouldn't do it. We probably would have struggled to do animation because of the amount of money you need to do it properly. Um, mm. And so we went on this pretty big odyssey of raising money. And I think that... Max, you might want to take this one because you yeah. really led the charge mm. between all of us, I think, on figuring out where who's interested, who could be interested, and how do we talk to them. Yeah, it was like obviously when you guys approached me, it was just bringing a group of people together that was really passionate about film. We weren't necessarily producers at the time. Like I didn't really have much um, experience in production at all, but I guess when you're passionate about something and you really like something, you can talk about it for days mm. and I think this is just what that situation was. We had, you know, there was a true story that everyone knew about whether or not it was directly about Don. I was like, yeah, I heard about that story. Then there's Hugo Weaving and then there's this then there's this animation, this beautiful animation that we kind of had this investor sandwich that we could, <laughs> sandwich, um, and we just sort of talked about like who would be interested in this film and obviously animation's a big cost and we, you know, we all helped out and because we all were yeah. passionate and we are passionate about the film. So we helped out a lot yeah. into getting this thing from, you know, page to screen. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I think I remember just talking to people like friends and then friends were like, oh, my, I've got a friend that works here. Do you want to talk to them? And so you would talk to them about the film, you'd pitch it. And there was just such a great reception to it. Yeah, um, yeah we're definitely, I think we're just pretty lucky. You were lucky. lucky in like yeah. in the sense that I think that like there's a lot of work that goes into um, fundraising for film. Uh, mm. It's just a lot of work, and Max and all of our producers, I think particularly Max, you know, really went overboard and just got it through over the mm. line. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah, we're just really lucky in the sense that Don Ritchie's story is just it's just a great story, and yeah. who doesn't mm. want to be part of, of telling? It's, mm. just important. Yeah. it's just important. Yeah, I think of the list of you know you got some amazing organizations and people in there like um just to name a few um you know living works uh waverly and willara council fishbowl heaps normal i saw gus Walland on there there was a shout out uh, to gus that Walland. was a shout out to gus <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, well, he took a look at the script look, originally yeah. okay um, yeah when we were first sort of finishing up the script we needed to make sure that we had actually discussed sort of these the themes and the issues that are being talked about in the film yeah. are obviously very serious and quite you have to be sensitive to those issues and we needed to make sure that we had done we had been sensitive and so we approached gotcha for life and he he was just very nice and he sat down uh, with us and talked about the script and he was like it's good to go and then <laughs> go into production now <laughs> <laughs> expert <laughs> filmmaker yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah cool. <laughs> so was that extra part of the credits like just shout out to family and friends and other people that helped as part of the process i think i think oh, the special sorry. thanks in the credits was 
people that had helped us oh, out in yeah. any part of the film, whether yeah. they'd looked at the script, whether they'd recommended that we go to this charity. Yeah, mm. yeah. Those weren't necessarily donations. Very few of the people in our special thanks actually donated to the film. I think for some reason we had a bit of a sort of like a weird thing about not going to we had we didn't want to go to the public and we didn't really want to open it open the floor up because we thought, well, let's if we can do it, let's let's try and raise the the, yeah. the, the money privately. Like let's see what how the councils react and Mm. They liked it, so yeah, yeah we, nice. we sort of kept it pretty internal. It speaks to that snowballing effect <laughs> before about you know getting Hugo and and getting an amazing animation company. But when it comes to the sponsors too, there's a very common goal when you're dealing with an issue like mental health, and it's it's clear to everybody that that reads the script that it is a story that needs to be out there. So there was just such a great involvement from from companies that you you wouldn't necessarily think would you know need be, to or want yeah, to be involved who had well, read the script yeah. in connection with like. Fuck yeah, let's jump on yeah. this. Yeah. Like, great. Yeah. Yeah, nice. And That's you awesome. guys have had some success um, in terms of like film festivals and awards. You want to tell us about that so far? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So the funny, the, the weird, weird thing about film festivals, well, the weird thing about the short film world is that it's just, it's a it's a bit of a game in the sense of festivals and like you, there's whole festival strategies and planning, which is a really weird thing. Um, but we knew we wanted to start locally and as close as we could to to the uh, to where Don lived, and that was in Bondi Beach at Flickerfest. So we started it with Flickerfest, um, which we were very fortunate enough to win uh, at Flickerfest. Um, and then we had our international premiere at Aspen uh, Shortfest, Shortfest, mm. which is this. Inc- I was I couldn't go, but it was like Alec and Max can tell you about it. It's this incredible. It's one of the like most well-regarded sort of short film festivals in the world. And um, yeah, do you guys want to talk about that? It was good. It was, um, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was because obviously uh, we all sort of do different things during the day. This is very much passion project. Mm. Um, and Aspen popped up and they were like, we can offer you guy free accommodation. Wow. And we're like, fuck, that's Aspen. That's like. Aspen, Colorado. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta do this. Here. So I think a few of us could go, couldn't go, and we sort of bit the bullet and bought flights and went over. And it was honestly the best week and a half I've ever experienced because we were actually going somewhere, going mm. on holiday with a purpose. Mm. And we worked to be there. It was just a full circle moment from like asked to be on this film to then finally seeing it and showing it in front of like hundreds of people that you don't even know and getting a reaction. It was just incredible. And there's like pretty much 72 filmmakers all in this town for a week and watching each other's amazing productions. And it was just fun. I mean, it was our first festival, like big festival experience. (coughs) Yeah. Seeing how much everybody got involved and got around each other Mm -hmm. was mega encouraging and also watching films and, and having that as a source of inspiration for future projects. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, we were the only lucky. Aussies there, so people really got around us. And yeah. were like, Australia, this is cool. Right, <laughs> right. The story's so unique to Australia and yeah. Hugo Waving, very Aussie accent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So having yeah. subtitles was great. You <laughs> 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 need subtitles in America. No way. Was there actually subtitles? We had, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Subtitles, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think like 40 like yeah, 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 that, yeah, they're yeah. like, what's 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 that? footy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's yeah. football? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. good hearing Hugo waving on the I think on the big speaker. It's important to shout out as well one of our producers, Carla, um, with her company Very Colored. They handled festival strategy, right? And and like Finbar said, you know, there's there's a lot of strategy that does go into it about picking where you're going to have that international premiere and and saving it for a festival that you sort of 
Yeah, it's sort of a whole weird can of worms really to talk about because it's just so, it kind of eludes us still, I feel like, where it's basically what it is is you have a national premiere, international premiere, and a world premiere. And then you've got certain region, region premieres. And then you've got regional premieres. And there's certain film festivals that will only take international premieres. They just won't do anything else. And, or even world premieres. So by opening it Flickr first, you can't open it, can't. Right. Uh, you can't. I think you can't. Yeah. I may, I, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it, it, it eludes me. It eludes yeah. me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that's the same for Sundance as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think so. Yeah, they, they definitely favor they world premieres ones, and they yeah. favor national premieres. But like, let me just say this: casting the net out, and when you originally put your film in all of those film festivals and you're waiting to hear back, is one of the most oh. agonizing mm. processes yeah. you can go through. You're like. Wow refreshing the page every day yeah, yeah, counting yeah. your vimeo views yeah. calling up alan and asking which region that they're viewing it in <laughs> oh, is wow. this, yeah, this yeah. really really funny mega thread um, oh, on the yeah. internet that we discovered and it's called like the you know the film mega thread of, of festival festivals. rejections or something like <laughs> yeah. that and it's this you know community of anxiety ridden yeah. filmmakers yeah. In, going like just fluctuating just between their yeah, despair and, and hope about yeah. getting into festivals Every, everyone's like have you heard back from Sundance and everyone's like no no no, no, no. rejected <laughs> sorry, but everybody's very supportive and then this this month is sort of uh, probably like will definitely be our sort of biggest month I think um, of festivals and right now it, I mean it's great to see it's sort of playing all over the world uh, where we have just opened up, I think Zagreb, which is Anima, um, Fest, Anima Fest, which is I think the second oldest film festival in Europe, or this, de- well, I think, or something like that. <laughs> it's 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 ba- it's one of the biggest. Uh, it is no, Annecy is the biggest animation festival in the world, but it's definitely in close second. Mm. Um, and it's only animation, and that is sort of like the top of the top uh, animation films of the year coming in there, and then we've got. Oh, Guadalajara, which is like I, I really I would have been. It would be amazing to be there because that is where's that? Mega. That's in Mexico, and yeah. it's sort of like one one of the biggest, if not the biggest, sort of uh, film festival in South America, I think. Yeah. And it's like uh, I've just been seeing images pouring out of there today, and it's just massive. And like I, on the jury of this year is uh, the director of Ice Merchants, um, Al Gonzalez. Yeah, and he's sort of going to be watching the film which is pretty awesome he got nominated for an academy award <laughs> oh wow uh, so this year this year um <laughs> and uh yeah well and then so we've got that coming up i think that's just about to start maybe they just had the opening night i don't know um and then we've got st kilda in melbourne with- yeah tell us about how people in australia right listening right now Mm. Like where they can, where okay, they can yeah. watch that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, just naming random places. No, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I've got a um, uh, this film festival in Melbourne called St Kilda, uh, which is a short film festival, uh, which will be playing on the 7th and the 10th, I believe. Um, of June. Of June this yep. month. So if you're in Melbourne, please come along. I'll be there on the 11th. So I don't know if this will be out before then, but it, it, it will, will be. be. Yeah, uh, yeah, it will please be. come and say hi. I'd love to have a chat. Describe yourself so they know who to look for. Um, <laughs> Audibly. <laughs> Curly hair. Yeah. A little bit of stuff. No, mysterious, but also. <laughs> oh, oh, no. And in Sydney. Uh, yeah, and then we have, which, which has really sort of been our hope and dream from the very beginning, which is Sydney Film Festival. Uh, a bit of a dream come true, I think, for all of us because – Growing up in Sydney, it's like the film festival that every year we're, we're sort of going to and looking at. 
Um, and so, yeah, we've got Sydney coming up and we're playing on the 17th and 18th of June. Uh, yeah, so alongside as well some other excellent short films, um, there's a few of them playing with us. And so, yeah, please come on to that because they'll, it won't just be teacups playing. There's some other amazing short films that I'm really excited for. Yeah, mm. Same, yeah. Can't, can't stress this enough to people listening. You really need to go watch this film. Yeah. It's very important viewing. Um, it's incredibly well made. Obviously, I've been yeah, we've been harping on about it, how much we liked it. Um, Michael, is there anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, I guess one question um, that sort of relates to how it goes at these festivals and you know plans and aspirations for the film after. Um, you know, like where do you hope it goes? Like what 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 do you hope comes from this? I I don't know. We're not that familiar with how like short films, you know, transition into full features or you know, the process from here. So I think you need to have really modest expectations when you put your film out because <laughs> to you, it feels like the most important thing in the world, but to a programmer, it's just another film and a bunch of, you know, 2000 films. Um, there, there is a, a strategy in the film festivals and, and that's in, you know, Academy Award qualifying festivals. Um, Sydney film festival, for example, the animation category does qualify you. And then, you know, you're among, you know, between 50 and 80 other animations that can, you know, end up being, shortlisted and then nominated so there's a certain strategy there what yeah else? that's going back to sort of the delusions that we have <laughs> um and yeah it's a valid weird, though like, yeah valid, very valid, valid, valid. valid it's a weird process uh, for short films because yeah, you have to get oscar qualified which you can only do if you win certain festivals like alex said and then you get shortlisted and then you get nominated uh, so it's a weird weird process but i think our goal from the very beginning is always to get uh, just get don story out there i mean going back to what we said before about having grown up in that area and having not heard the story, uh, you know, ideally for us, there some sort of way to have, to give the film some level of permanence in the sense that it just doesn't sort of fade away. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, as most short films do, and that's just the nature of short films. Not many people watch them. So we're, we'll, we will turn our eye towards sort of streaming platforms very soon. Uh, that's would be amazing. Um, and they can give it, yeah, just that level of permanence a bit more and people can sort of revisit it and watch it whenever they want. Um, but I think yeah, the good thing about, you know, as you said before, casting your film out to as many film festivals as possible and not waiting for that can fucking, you know, beautiful setting <laughs> is to just get it. Can. Watch. Can. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. Got that right now. So, um, is, I think, the, yeah, the greatest thing about, um, having our film being shown to all these people all around the world at these festivals is to mm. get as many eyeballs on it as possible because it, it's a story that transcends across, you know, Australia that everyone needs to see. But I think, I'm not sure if we can talk about Living Works, but Living Works has got, you know, one of the best suicide prevention uh, programs or courses uh, in the world and they've got, you know, situate or they've got places all over, or companies all over the world um that teach people how to deal with talk about mental health to or noticing people with mental health and early on in our relationship we were talking about potentially getting into like you know school curriculums and mm. like a year 10 year 11 kind of case study where people would sort of dissect the story and if that you know eventuates and it can be seen by as many people as possible in like education yeah. you know that that that's a dream come true yeah so mm. with our goal of you know, yeah. getting people moved by the film. Yeah, yeah that would be amazing. Absolutely well said. 
Um, again, congratulations, boys, on such an amazing film. Thank you. Can't wait yeah, for those no to see yeah, it. Thank you both. Um, and can't wait to see what you guys do in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Cinemates. Make sure to follow us and leave a review on your chosen streaming platforms. Also, check out our Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube channel for more Cinemates content. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge Australia's First Nations people as the traditional owners and custodians of the land and pay respect to the Camaragal people of the Eora Nation upon whose country Cinemates is based. We honour the storytelling and culture of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities across Australia. Also, in the spirit of chatting with mates, remember it's always important to check in with those around you. Whether it's friends, family or colleagues, sometimes they may be going through a hard time and chatting with them may reassure them that they aren't alone. If you or anyone you know is ever struggling, call Lifeline on 13 11 14.